What do the Old Testament books of Numbers and Ezekiel have in common with the New Testament books of Matthew and Revelation? Although spaced out roughly 1,500 years and 1,400 years before the birth of Jesus, there is a supernatural engineering code woven in these pages that clearly points to the cross, the resurrection, and the second coming of Jesus with such pinpoint precision it defies even the most ardent skeptic. Join us now as we unravel this and so much more in A Compass, The Cross, and The Old Testament. Hello, everybody. My name is Mark. You're watching and listening to the Russick Outlook. Thank you so much for joining. This is going to be a very compelling presentation. The title of it is called A Compass, the Cross, and the Old Testament. I I know it sounds a little bit cryptic, but we're going to see some things that just, I I I marvel at the details of the Lord and how we're going to see some things in the Old Testament. We're going to see Jesus in the Old Testament that weaves it straight through to the uh, to the crucifixion, the resurrection, and ultimately his return. So I'm very excited about this. Uh, I often say Jesus is in the details. And admittedly, as I get older and I more time I spend in the Word, I, I constantly, I'm, I'm, I'm more and more drawn to the little things and, and what, you know, people may get caught up and you think it's the minutiae. So for instance, a lot of what we're going to be basing today's presentation on is the book of Numbers. And I'll, I'll say that I am guilty of this, that you think of numbers and, you know, you kind of get lost in, in all of that. But we're, I'm, I'm, I, I'm confident that we'll be exploring some things and showing some things that some of the details that are in these numbers that have incredible meaning and symbolism and some things that uh, blew away a character that that we'll get into in, in, in the Old Testament. So uh, on that note, I just, I just want to pause for a second. If you wouldn't mind, uh, please hit the uh, 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 the bell or ring the bell and, and, and subscribe to our channel, whatever platform we're on, uh, whether it's we're on Rumble now, we're on YouTube, uh, most of the podcast platforms. So please, if you could, it, again, it helps us go up into the rankings. Our message and our, our our mission, so to speak, is to get to the heart of truth regarding the veracity of Scripture in Jesus. And I try to look at it from as many angles as possible, plenty outside of, uh, of, of the Bible and the Word as well. Um, and also, just real quick, I'll close with if you go to russicoutlook.com, join our email list. We just notify you of new things coming out, new presentations. We are on the cusp of uh, doing some new things in September, uh, some live uh, videos. We're going to be doing some different guest work. I'm going to have some guests coming in, some Zoom presentations, and we'll notify you about that if you're on our email list. So let me, let, let me get into this. Uh, so let me cut to it. So here you go. A compass the cross in the Old Testament. What might be behind or hidden behind the numbers. So I wanted to point out two scriptures that are identical, and yet they're in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, Psalm 47 says this, Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. Obviously, this is Jesus, but, you know, written well before his birth. And then in Hebrews 10, 7, Then said I, Lo, I come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. So, 
I, I, I wanted to point out those two uh, scriptures because it, it shows you, and, and I, I've often said this, and I'll tell you right now, Jesus is in every book of the Old Testament. He is throughout the Word. He is the Word. And I've written, a, I've not written, I've done a couple of video presentations on it, and there's plenty of wonderful teachers and authors about that. But my point is, you know, I get a little concerned, and I hear this sometimes from people, Christians, and I think, I I don't know whether they're not being taught properly or they're just late. They, they, they kind of push off the Old Testament. You know, they push that aside and, oh, that was written by, you know, people much older, thousands of years ago. It doesn't have any relevance today. Nothing could be further from the truth. Um, Jesus quoted the Old Testament. The disciples quoted the Old Testament. There was no New Testament in his time. Um, so, when, you know, when Jesus says that these things were written of me and he points to, you know, the prophets and he points to the prophecies, uh, because he came to fulfill them. Um, he did not come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. So I I just wanted to impress upon you if you're skeptical about the Old Testament or perhaps you're skeptical about God. And and so I would just ask if you wouldn't mind to keep an open uh, mind to what we're going to be laying out and presenting here and, and see if this, you know, registers with you and in, in, in whatever thought process you ha- might have behind it. So I want to get to something here. We're going to get into the numbers, I know, but bear with me because in these numbers, you, you're going to see some things that I'm confident you'll you'll just go, whoa, you know, at least I did. And I get, I get a little excited about the word. So, um, so you have the four camps of Israel, and this is about the 12 tribes of Israel. So you have the camp of Judah, the camp of Reuben, the camp of Ephraim, and the camp of Dan. Uh, so in Judah, you have Ishakar, Zebulun, uh, which totals 186,400. In Reuben, you also have Simeon and Gad, which brings you to a total of 151,450. And I give you, if you're following me on, on uh, a podcast, I'm giving you the individual breakdowns here on video too. Uh, so, for instance, in, in Ephraim, 40,500, plus Manasseh's 32,200, Benjamin is 35,400, giving you a total of 108,100. And then finally, Dan is 157,600. In the middle of these camps, you have the rabbinical procession, which is set by the Levites. So the Levites are in the middle, and, and I'll be showing you this. But it's just important to lay this out, that there, there were four camps and uh, um, the 12 tribes of Israel. Really quickly, um, I just want to point out that you have uh, Ephraim and Manasseh. So, you know, they are the two sons of Joseph, and they are often talked about being, you know, the same camp. And I'm getting to the reason I'm saying this is you could look at this and go 13 if you include the Levites. And in that, which are the priests, and in that you will never, I think 20 times in the, yeah. So let me just cut real quickly. Sorry. 20 times in the Old Testament, it mentions about the 12 tribes of Israel. And it's these combinations. So there are 12 tribes because Manasseh and Ephraim is considered from Joseph to be one. So you will never hear in those 20 times in the Old Testament, you'll never hear 13. They're, they're always laid out as 12 tribes. So uh, 
I, I just wanted to clear that out because this was laid out in Genesis 48, I believe, right? Um, so here you have this, and I know I'm, I'm, I'm getting to it with the numbers. So bear with me. I'm going to show you something else. By the way, if you are listening on podcast, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm so grateful. A lot of times I have to show some things on video. And in this case, some of this might, it will bear out a little bit better. So if you can, jump over to Rumble or YouTube or Russick Outlook. All of them will have the videos on here uh, because I'm showing some things in here that you really need to see visually in, in order to get the full effect. And, and I'll describe it as best as possible. I'm not there yet, but just a, uh, just a, you know, a minor note there. So as I said, you had uh, the, the, the Levites in the middle. So you have, just as you have the four uh, entries um, or the, the four camps, they are uh, broken up by the four um, compass or the four, four directions, which is why I said uh, a compass in the beginning. So for instance, Ephraim is in, it was uh, assigned to the west, Dan to the north, uh, Reuben to the south, and uh, Judah to the east. There are no cardinal directions. This is not laid out as southeast or northwest. They're very, very specific. It's northwest, east, and south. Um, I want to take point of east being the, uh, the camp of Judah. You see that at the bottom of the screen. So this is where Moses and the priests would have entered into. Uh, they would have gone in through the east gate, through the, um, the tribe of Judah, and then you see the, the priests are broken down to the Colites, the Gershonites, and the Maronites. Um, and then I give you the numbers there and, and their totals. So, you know, my point here for this, and it's very important, is the priests are in the middle, and then you have the camp surrounding the priests. And that's how they traveled. And I'm going to show you some things. And, you know, for, for those of you who are familiar with the Old Testament, you know this. So when they were traveling with the tabernacle, this is how, and, and, they, and they broke camp for however many days or weeks or months, that's how they would settle. That's how they, you know, that's how they would break camp. It was very, very specific, uh, again, in the details. So, and, and, and this is, we're getting to something very, very important here. So I'm going to talk about ensigns for a second. And that is um, the the flag or the symbol. So if you think of in the days of the Vikings or, you know, may, maybe the Middle Ages or, um, you, you know, you, you would see these flags and, and, you, and you see this on a lot of movies or television shows today depicting some of the uh, uh, times of the past. Um, uh, some of the European empires would, would do this. And, you know, for instance, uh, um, Great Britain or England has the lion. So the ensigns were very specific to these four camps. And, and this gets very, very important. Again, this goes back to the details of the Lord. So I want to show you what these ensigns are. And for those who are Bible students, I'll say, you know, that you, this, this may, um, uh, you know, raise, raise a flag and, and you'll recognize something of where I'm going. Um, so let me show you this. So here you have uh, the, the ensigns, the flag there for Reuben is man, uh, for Ephraim is ox, um, for uh, Judah is lion. Everybody knows where, you know, most people know Jesus from the tribe of, of, of Judah, the lion of Judah. 
And then north you have the eagle, which is Dan. Now, I do want to take mention real quickly that if you look at Genesis 49, the serpent for Dan was um, a serpent. I'm sorry, the sign or the ensign for Dan was a serpent. And the head of the tribe was not comfortable with that at all. So this was changed to an eagle with the serpent in its mouth. And my, I didn't, I didn't have that um, ty- type of clip art that I, I used to, to symbolize this, but you'll get the idea. So there, their ensign was an eagle with the serpent in its mouth, much like, you know, if, if you were to see a hawk or an eagle or some type of predatory bird coming down and they'll, they'll, they'll grab a snake or, you know, you, you get the idea and they'll put it in their mouth. So that was it. So you have, now you have these camps, again, pretty significant, large numbers. You know, we're talking well over 100,000 for each. Ephraim's the smallest at 108,000 and Dan would be the, uh, the largest. I'm sorry, Judah would be the largest at 186,400. So massive amounts, you know, really you could say, you know, if, if you told it all, a little under a half a million uh, Hebrews in these camps. So when, when they're traveling, you're talking about a half a million people. Just trying to frame and, and, and give you an idea of, of, of what this is like. So I want to switch gears a little bit, staying with the book of Numbers, and I want to talk about Balaam because this ties to what you're seeing on the screen and what he saw. Um, so let me cut to this on video. This is in Numbers 22. And many people, you could be familiar with this, but I, I don't know that you're going to be, well, you're going to see some things that that Balaam saw that uh, I, I know is not shown specifically in the Bible. Balaam, son of Beor, was a seer from Aram. And that's kind of important too, because a seer is something that is a sinner. You know, you're looking into the occult, but yet the Lord used him, and you'll see he turns from his ways. Uh, But he was a seer from Aram, internationally famous for the effectiveness of his blessings and curses. Balak, king of Moab, afraid of the invading Israelites, who vastly outnumbered Moab, asked Balaam to come and curse the people of Israel. God told Balaam in a vision that he should not go with Balak's emissaries, but after further uh, urging from the messengers, God allowed him to go. So, you know, it's interesting how God says, okay, I'm going to use this situation. Um, He mounted his female donkey and left with the messengers. An angel sent by the Lord stood on the road with a drawn sword. The donkey saw the angel, swerved aside, refusing to continue, even when Balaam hit her with his, with his stick. So I'll just show you the picture again. So uh, again, on video, I'm showing you the angel and, and the donkey sees this and he's like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to confront this angel. Uh, but then Balaam's eyes were open. He saw the angel. He told him that he could proceed with the men, but he was allowed to only say what the angel told him to say. Balak, the king of Moab, came out to meet Balaam and reproached him for his reluctance to come. Balaam answered that he could only utter the words that God put in his mouth. So, you know, here you have the pressure uh, uh, of um, Balak coming, and he wants him to curse Israel. He wants him to curse the Israels. He wants him because he believes he has this power, and he's and he's known for, I, I, I guess, the you know, his reputation had you know, gone around as, as having a certain success in this 
a cult like, you know, I'm using, you know, today's vernacular, but he had success in this. So um, the next day, Balak went up with Balaam to a high mountain from where he could see the camp of the people of Israel. Balaam ordered that seven altars be built and build a ram which were sacrificed on each of them. Then came the moment when Balak expected Balaam to curse Israel. He's like, okay, I've got it. I've got the altars to the false gods. The, to his great surprise, Balaam uttered blessings over Israel instead of curses. The same thing happened two more times, once on top of Pegash and the other on the peak of Peor. So these are mountains that he's, there, he's looking down. And, and, you know, Balak's trying to take the element of um, um, being uh, on the offense. So if you're in a military situation, obviously you want the high ground. So he's looking down from the high ground and he's seeing these tribes below. Um, then it says, Balak, angry and disappointed, told Balaam to flee back to his own land. Balaam's last words to Balak were a prophecy that Israel would one day triumph over Moab. Balab, instead of returning to his country, stayed in the region and joined the Midianites. He suggested that the way to defeat Israel was to encourage the Israelites to be immoral and promiscuous. He was killed in battle in which the Israelites defeated the Midianites. Let me continue now. Uh, jumping over to chapter 24. Now, when Balaam saw that it, that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not resort to divination at other times. So he, he kind of put that away. He saw that this blessed the Lord. So let me show you this now. Um, on the top in yellow highlights, when Balaam looked out and saw Israel encamped by a tribe, the Spirit of God came on him, and he spoke his message. So something came over Balaam when he looked down at the tribes, and, and the Spirit of God came on him. And it says this, the prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophecy of one whose eyes see clearly, the prophecy of one who hears the words of God, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are open. So he's seeing a vision. The Lord's showing him something. And this is where we're going to get to. It's going to blow you away. How beautiful are your tents, Jacob, your dwelling places, Israel. Like valleys, they spread out like gardens beside a river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Water will flow from their buckets. Their seed will have abundant water. Their king will be greater than Agag. Their kingdom will be exalted. God bought them out of Egypt. They had the strength of a wild ox. They devour hostile nations, break their bones in pieces. With their arrows, they pierce them like a lion. They crouch and lie down like a lioness who dares to rouse them. May those who bless you be blessed and those who curse you be cursed, which is really what we see today. You know, many people, I'm sure, you know, if you're watching or listening, you're familiar with, you know, uh, bless Israel and the Lord will bless you, curse Israel and, and, and the Lord will curse you. And you can see you know, uh, you can see that today. So, and then Balak seeing all this, right? So his anger burned against Balaam. He struck his hands together and said to him, I summon you to curse my enemies, but you have blessed them now three times. Now leave at once and go home. I said I would reward you handsomely, but the Lord has kept you from being rewarded. Balaam answered Balak, did I not tell you the messengers you sent me? 
Even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything of my own accord, good or bad, to go beyond the command of the Lord, and I must say only what the Lord says. So he's he was obedient to the instructions given him by the angel. Now I am going back to my people, but come, let me warn you of what this people will do to your people in the days to come. So I just kind of want to set the stage now that he's about to to prophesy, but he, you know, again, the Spirit of God came on him. His eyes were open. He saw the vision, you know, and just prior to this, he encounters the angel with the donkey. But what did he see? What was it that God showed him in the vision and what he saw in the natural? So hopefully you you can follow me on video here. This is not to scale, but this is what the numbers break down if you were to do this in scale. And for my podcast listeners, it's it's a symbol of the cross. It's it's without question. Um, it, it, it shows you the four camps, how they're centered around uh, uh, the Levites in the middle. And I highlight this again. When Balaam looked out and saw Israel in camp, tribe by tribe, the Spirit of God came on him. So this is the aerial view of what he saw. This is the aerial view of what they all saw when they looked down from the top, from the mountainsides, that they saw the cross. The cross was evident in the book of Numbers, which is why I say, you know, Jesus is, is, is in the details. And, and, you know, so you see this, you see the Old Testament, you, and, and there's more. There's, there, there's more to come. Um, but, again, it's, it's, it's the details. So what was his message? And, and this is very important. Balaam's fourth message, when this is uh, 2415. Then he spoke his message. The prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophecy of one whose eyes see clearly, I should say, and now, but the prophecy of one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate, whose eyes are open. So he's seeing this. He, he gets it now. I see him, but not now. I behold him but not near. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. So, you know, it goes on, he will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of the people of Sheth. Edom will be conquered, Seir, his enemy will be conquered, but Israel will grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. So he has the, the prophecy, the vision, and he sees Jesus not now, but he sees Jesus coming. So a star will come out of Jacob. We, you know, a scepter will rise out of Israel. So there you see some 15 or 1400 years before the birth of Jesus that, you know, here it is. And Balaam, again, I just want to emphasize prior to this, he's, he's engaged, he's, you know, he, he's engaged in, in, in a type of witchcraft almost. Um, or at least playing with it, toying with it. Um, and yet the Lord turned him around and, and you know, made this revelation. I guess, uh, you know, to my point, God uses anybody and anything. So never think, you know, who am I in, in the grand scheme of things? You're so important. Jesus is, you know, loves you so much that he went to that cross and knowing that, you know, what, what was the outcome, but he did that for you. And that's how special you are. So again, I just, you know, I marvel 
And I'm going to show you some more things as, as I start to wind this down. We're almost there. But when I thought about the four and the four ensigns, and, and we're going to see this, and I'm going to tie this to the, to the throne room. And now you have the 12 tribes uh, of, uh, of Israel. And remember that it says in, in Revelation that the 24 elders, which represents the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples. So I, I thought about that and I said, well, you know, you've got these four ensigns and you've got the four gospel writers. So I wanted to do some breaking down here. Again, let me, let me break this, bring this to video for a second. So we're going to be looking at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, and how does Jesus present himself? And he presents himself differently to all four writers. Uh, to Matthew, the tax collector, he was the Messiah. To Mark, he was the servant. To Luke, he is the son of man. And to John, he is the son of God. The genealogies are broken down a little bit differently with each of the four. Abraham, it's, it's the genealogy from Abraham, which is the legal genealogy uh, for, in Matthew. But notice there is no genealogy in the book of Mark. Uh, and how does he come to, you know, how is he depicted, I should say, as a servant? So the servant wouldn't have that genealogy. Um, Luke, it goes back to the bloodline of Adam. And then John, he is eternal. Remember, John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he was always there from the very beginning of what we know. Um, but obviously, you know, the Lord is outside of, 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 of time. Um, in, in the four Gospels, we have really in Matthew, it's about what Jesus said, his words. In Mark, it's about what he did. In Luke, it's about how he felt. And John, it's who he was. Uh, and he ministers in Matthew first to the Jew, in Mark to the Roman, in Luke to the Greek, and John finally to the church. Uh, the first miracles uh, in Matthew to the Jew, and this is interesting because he it's when he cleanses the leper. And leprosy in, um, in, in these times uh, is a condition of sin. So if they saw you as a leper, you were really considered a sinner. You were, you know, you were, um, you were outcast. And, you know, there's a lot of uh, um, records and there's some records in, in, in the Word and, and outside books where, you know, you were sent to, at times, islands even by yourselves or with other lepers. The le that's, the, you know, where you get the word, the expression, the leper colony. And one of the things that I personally love about Jesus is in this, when he cleanses the leper, and I just, I, I envisioned this, and I saw this, um, I can't remember the movie, but it was a you know, movie about the Gospels, and, uh, uh, oh, The Chosen, the series from The Chosen. And I always thought this even before seeing it. Um, you know, Jesus hugs the leper, loves the leper, you know, and that's the last thing you would want, you know, if, if the disciples and others are seeing this, Stay away from the leper. He's contagious. He's contaminated. You don't want to get near it. And he does the opposite. Obviously, he heals him. But this the love that he shows. So, and and it's the love I believe. You know, to to bring salvation to the sinner. Um, in Mark, he expels the demon, which he also did in Luke. And John, it is actually the very first of any of the uh, uh, of his miracles, which was turning the water into wine. Um, and there's a lot of reasons behind that. I've laid that out in a, in a previous video. Um, what does it end with? It ends with the resurrection in Matthew and the ascension in Mark. 
and the promise of Holy Spirit in Luke. And I find that so um, compelling as well, because who is the writer of, of the book uh, of Acts is Luke. And it's, that's really about, you know, the start of the new, the, the, the new church or the new covenant. I would say that's really where the New Testament begins. Um, and, and I love what Jesus says in the beginning. You know, he commands his disciples, do not leave Jerusalem until you have received the gift of Holy Spirit. I'm paraphrasing, but that's, that's the scripture and it's a commandment. Um, and you don't usually, you, you rarely see that. I don't, I don't know of any other times, and I'm sure there is. I'm just missing it off the top of my head. But the importance and the significance of that. Um, and then in John, the promise of his return. What is John, especially the book of Revelation, you think about, it's, it's all about the second coming. So in Matthew, it's tied to the tribe of Judah, which the ensign is the lion. In Mark, it's tied to Ephraim, the ox. Luke, Reuben, which is man, and Dan, the eagle, which is, which is John. So the, there's that symmetry that's been woven in the gospel writers that tie all the way back to the Old Testament. And I'm going to show you again. If you remember the ensigns, and if you look at three different scriptures, and I've laid this out, let me show you here on video. This is what the throne room of heaven looks like. You have the, the seraphim angels, and they surround the throne room, and they are, so what we see is the model there, which is man, ox, lion, and eagle. And you see this in Isaiah 6, Ezekiel 10, and Revelation 4. So, you know, my point is, if you go back all this years into 1400, 1440 BC, around there, when Moses wrote the book of Numbers, that's what was the that was symbolic of the camps what was which was in uh the throne room of heaven and i'm going to give you more <laughs> I, I feel like a gate mile that's bad but i was going to say a game show host but you know and you know here's more again i'm going to bring you back to video what's in the middle is the tabernacle so the presence of god is in the tabernacle he's surrounded by the ensigns which is the same as what's in heaven at this time. So as of this right, as this time was being laid out in, in the annals of, of history, um, it was actually a, a mirror, if you will, and I'm sure not, it definitely was not as, well, the Lord was there, but you don't imagine it to be as glorious. But the presence of God in the middle with the high priests, and again, you know, you have these surrounding camps and these four ensigns, which are the same as what's laid out in the throne room of heaven. So here where God is in the throne room is in the tabernacle, surrounded, uh, and, and he's surrounded by a depiction of the cross. If you were to look at it from an aerial view, so it, if you're the Lord and you're looking down at that time, you know what this is, and you've laid this out. And again, this is where I go back to, it's, it's all about the details. And there's more. I'm going to remember when I said that the, uh, um, Moses and the high priest entered through the eastern gate. It was very specific through the lion of the tribe of Judah. Okay, so what about the eastern gate? So approximately 2,600 years ago, prophet Ezekiel was given a vision of the glory of the Lord. This is in uh, Ezekiel 43. It says this, Afterward he brought me to the gate, even the gate that looks toward the east. And behold, the glory of God of Israel came uh, from the way of the east 
and his voice was like a noise of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. So notice this, the glory of God of Israel came from the way of the east. And it was according to the appearance of the vision which I saw, even according to the vision I saw when I came to destroy the city, and the visions were like the vision that I saw by the river Shebar. And I fell upon my face, and the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate whose prospect is toward the east. So that's where Jesus enters. This is when Jesus returns. He comes back through the eastern gate, through the line of the tribe of Judah, which was laid out again, you know, in numbers. So he witnessed nothing less than the glorious appearing of Jesus. Ezekiel describes his vision what Jesus told his disciples when warning them to guard against false prophets who claim the Messiah has arrived. And, and you know, the, you, you, you can't get any more clear than that, that he is in uh, this place or that place because Jesus returns He's coming back on the Mount of Olives, and he's going to be entering into the Eastern Gate. Jesus tells us not to believe such people, for when he returns, all eyes see him simultaneously. Matthew 24, 27. For as lightning comes out of the east and shines even into the west, shall, shall, so shall also be the coming of the Son of Man. He's coming like lightning out of the east, and he's going to be entering into the Eastern Gate. He will appear from the east, the sound of his coming, again, like the roar of rushing waters, and he enters into the eastern gateway. So let me bring you back to this and the green highlight on the right. The fact that the Lord Jesus Christ will once again walk through the eastern gate is confirmed in Ezekiel 44. It says this, Then he brought me back the way of the gate of the outward sanctuary, which looks toward the east, and it was shut. Remember that. Then said the Lord to me, This gate shall be shut, it shall not be opened, and no man shall enter it, because the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered in it by, therefore it shall be shut. It is for the prince, the prince he shall sit in to eat bread before the Lord, he shall enter by the way of the porch of that gate, and shall go out of the way the same. So not only does this message reiterate certain details of the Lord's appearing, but it offers substantial evidence to the unbeliever that the Bible is the Word of God. Why do I say that? Ezekiel 44 demonstrates with astounding accuracy of Bible prophecy, providing evidence that can be verified firsthand by anyone that doubts. So, if you, you look at the Eastern Gate today, it was closed uh, about 700 years ago, says this. So over 2,600 years ago, the Lord declared the Eastern Gate would be shut, would remain closed until the Messiah uh, arrives to open it. For hundreds of years, the Eastern Gate offered convenient, unfettered access to the temple courtyard. Yet for almost 500 years now, it's been closed. I think it's a little over that. So that was at the time of the Ottoman Empire. They closed the gate because they knew of the prophecies of the Lord entering through. So they did not want, they were trying to prevent it, but yet they they fed right into what the Lord said would happen. So it's, you know, again, no matter what you try to do to offset the Lord's plans, forget it. Uh, and, and I say that by the enemy. Um, but what's fascinating is this gate has been closed for 500 years and Jesus will enter in, in through it and he will come and, and he will do it. So we will, or, or this generation uh, we'll see this happen. And I just marvel at the fact that this gate's been closed, it's been sealed shut, and 
just just as prophecy revealed. So finally, I just want to close with this, that what we see in the throne room of heaven, remember that mirror image of of the tabernacle, I'll give you this. This is what we will see, except it will be heaven brought down to earth. Why do I say that? Because Jesus will be entering through the east gate, through the uh, 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 by, by the by the line of the tribe of Judah, and into the center court. Um, and all of this will be surrounded. So you will have this um, the, the 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 presence of Jesus will be right here, right brought down exactly as heaven is today. And he's going to be taking, coming down with, uh, if, if we're not, if we're not, and I'll, separate subject, but for those of you who question about the rapture of the church, um, Jesus returns at the end of tribulation and he returns with his church, both uh, those who were raptured and, and those who went before him. Um, but it's that same model, except now he's leaving heaven and he's coming into the earth and he enters into the gate. So again, you know, it's the details of the Lord. It's the glory of Jesus. Uh, and this is why I say, you know, with, with all, all these books, when if you think about the book of Numbers, the book of Ezekiel, the book of Matthew, the book of Revelation, it, it's all woven together. There's all a picture there. God is in the details. The Lord's in the details. And I, I just get excited about it because it's just, you know, further, further, more and more evidence showing uh, the veracity of Christ in Scripture and the reality that Jesus is coming and he's coming soon. What soon means, we don't know. Uh, but if you look around the signs of the times, uh, I, I would be ready. And if you don't know the Lord, you know, ask him, ask, ask him questions. You know, don't be afraid to ask. He will show you. He'll give you the answers. If you're not sure, you want to pick up a Bible, I recommend you start with the book of John and go into Acts, then go back and read the rest of the Gospels. Um, if, again, you have any questions, so let me just close with this. Questions, comments, please, by all means, shoot me an email, russickoutlook at gmail.com. Prayer requests, happy to take that on as well. I just want to thank you for your time. Uh, I've been blessed in researching this and and getting this information out there. I hope and trust you have. Please, um, and and comment on whatever the platforms you're on, If uh, you know, whether you agree or disagree. Again, I always say it's all, all good. So thank you again for listening. My name is Mark. You've been listening to the Russick Outlook. And remember, as always, Just my opinion.